We've done a lot of it already, but let's, let's pray. Well, this morning as we go into a time of the Word, I'll ask Your blessing and Your anointing. God, I, You know I have so much on my heart and on my mind this morning to share. God, I pray that You would help it to be focused and fluent. Lord, I pray that we'd all be encouraged and challenged by the Word. Hallelujah. Bless Your name, God. Amen. Amen. This morning I want to start simply by, by talking a little bit about preaching and the dissemination of the Word of God. We have about 52 weeks a year in order to come together in celebration where you, you hear from a pastor, a preacher. Pastors will usually take anywhere between one, two, and maybe ten verses their whole sermon. Often you're instructed, don't give too many Scriptures. People are turning too much. And, and, and we'll, so we'll take some we'll talk about those. If we were to take, I'll go say ten Scriptures and use all ten in a, in a service on a Sunday morning every week, at the end of the year, if we didn't use any of the same verses, we'd go through about 520 verses of the entire Bible. You cannot get through the Bible in a preaching setting in a year, in two years, in three years. In fact, one, one time we spent over six months in the book of Romans. Does anyone remember how long that was? Was it a, It was years? It was so long. We spent so long in the book of Romans that when we got done, we rented the middle school and had a graduation ceremony. And people got diplomas from the book of Romans. Go, through a, uh, go to a church, um, maybe like a Calvary Chapel who likes to do a lot of, just uh, yes, right through the Bible teaching, and they're going to take months to go through one book, Ezekiel. Multiple weeks even in small books. You cannot preach the entire Word of God in a Sunday. Why am I saying this? Because you're going to find messages week after week that only touch one part of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's important to know that you have to balance it out with everything you hear in the year and everything that you read and study on your own. You can't take one sermon and go and live the rest of your life only believing that one sermon. Even today, I'm going to highlight one of the things that Jesus said. One of the things Jesus wanted His disciples to do. That doesn't mean it's more important than some of the other things Jesus said to do. Sadly, often us preachers will, will put so much emphasis on one thing that will make it sound like that was the most important thing that Jesus ever said. But if you go down the street to the other church, they're going to say that something else was the most important thing that Jesus ever said. I don't know, when Jesus, if Jesus said it, I believe it. And that will settle it. And it's all important. Jesus spent 33 years with His disciples. He spent 33 years on the earth, three years with His disciples. He lived a life. He lived an example. And then He began to find His disciples. And He began to teach them and walk with them and model life for His disciples. Three years with the Master Teacher. And, you know, recently last week when Pastor Jeff was talking about the, uh, mostly in, in Matthew, 
the words of red. In fact, uh, on Saturday night when he, when he was, began to preach, I remembered the saying, read the red and pray for power. That impacted my life about 15 years ago when I heard it. Read the red and pray for power. We need to find out the things that Jesus said. What was on his heart? What was on his mind? It's so important to do that. He spent three years with his disciples teaching them, showing them what he cared about, hoping that they would have the same heart. This morning's message is definitely central to the heart of Jesus. I believe Jesus had one mission. One mission on the earth. He did a lot of things. He did a lot of things outside of this mission, but all the things that He did outside of this mission helped to accomplish His mission. And that is found in Luke 19.10. simply says this, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's, what, that's why Jesus came. He had a mission to seek and to save what was lost. He spent his entire life building up, teaching, modeling, living a life so that others would be saved. The lost would be saved. He loves people. He loves us. We know for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The mission... The Great Commission is at the heart of Jesus. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. It says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And I can't go and preach that, but I want to leave this as a, as a side note. Often I find that we, as, as Christians, we want to kind of leave out that last part. We don't want to talk about he who does not believe will be condemned. And we don't have to spend a lot of time telling people that. But we as Christians need to know that he who does not believe is condemned. These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's Mark 16. That's the Great Commission Scriptures. In Matthew, there's another Great Commission stated slightly different. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus' commission to us as believers is to go and preach the gospel. And the second part of that is to make disciples disciples. It's not just about preaching the gospel so people will get saved, but about making disciples. Jesus spent three years making disciples. When He left, He commissioned them to continue doing all the things that He had brought them up to do. And He said, go and make disciples again. The word disciple 
is in the Greek is mathetes. And it, it means a pupil, a student, or more aptly, a learner. A disciple is a learner. Someone who spends effort and time learning. It's not just a hearer or a listener. If you come to church once a week and never read your Bible or pursue God outside of this arena, you are not a a disciple. You're not a learner. You're a listener. A disciple is a learner. We all know people who just their whole life exudes learning. Whether it's academically or lifestyle. It's these people who spend time and whenever they spend time with them, they pick up things. Pastor Jeff is a learner. You know, you spe- if he spends time with you, he's going to learn about your occupation and he's going to end up knowing so much about an occupation that he's never experienced that if you talk to him, you might think that he did that in his life. He learns. Jesus is saying that we need to be learners of him and that we need to go and help others become learners. In that scripture, it said, there, go therefore and make disciples. So if a disciple is a methetes, what does it say? Now, some of your versions might say, go therefore and teach. Does anyone have that in their scriptures? Go therefore and teach. The reason that they put teach, remember the, the scripture is not write, written in English, and that's why we have so many variations. The, the word methetes is disciple. The word that they put here is, if I can remember, it's mathetusate. Okay, what does that mean? I'm going to ask, does anyone speak German in here? Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. In German, in many other languages, they'll take a word, and then they will add things to the beginning, or to the end, or to the, for you guys, to the beginning, or to the end, and they'll take that word, and that word will become slightly different. The meaning will be the same, but it will change who it's going to, and it will change from a noun to an action. And that's why if you've ever seen German written out, words get longer and longer and longer and longer. They just keep adding things on to change their tense, who they're written to, whether it's a passive, active, transitive, right? She, she's a linguist. I lo- I'm so glad you're here this morning. It's really exciting. Let me give you an example. Frau is woman. Mm-hmm. Fraulein is young woman. Okay. And so, so that, so if you can kind of, we, we can wrap our minds around that because we've all seen German, even if it was just Farfignugen, <laughs> which is a real word. It means to go out and have fun. Close? It's the joy of driving. The joy of driving. Farfignugen. <laughs> Anyways, and so we've seen, and some of these words are really long in German. So if we can wrap our minds for a second, Greek is similarly built. They'll take a word and they'll add things to the beginning and to the end and they will change the meaning of this. The word in the Greek here, when they said, go therefore and make disciples, they used the base word methetes, but they added some things to it to say, basically, make them a learner. Go and help people to become learners. The way it's translated, I don't know if it's ever bothered you. I get bothered all the time and I get bothered by the word of God. Which is good, because then I go in and say, what are you saying to me? And when I do that, I find what it's saying. And it's okay. 
Sometimes the translation is, is the error. And I believe here, we're led to believe that we can make a disciple. We can't make a disciple. We can become a disciple. We can be a disciple, but we can't make a disciple. We can only preach the gospel and they may receive it and become saved. Then whether they become a disciple or not is up to them. But we have a job and that's to help them become a disciple. That means that with the Great Commission, it's not just about going. It's about staying with people. You have to make a disciple by staying with them, spending time, helping them to grow. God help us all the times that we thought we could just preach a message or go one-on-one -on -one and just leave them to themselves. You know, now often we'll pray, God, bring somebody along to help disciple them. The heart of this church, the heart, my heart, is to that we need to become disciples and we need to help disciple other people. And I believe it's at the heart of Jesus. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He did that, yet He made disciples. And in doing so, He showed them for three years modeling life. And then He said, go and do what I did to you, to other people. And He says, go, teaching them. He says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things. They could have used mathetes again, but they didn't. He just used a different word because he wants to separate what being a disciple, what being a learner is. This one is just didasco. It just means to teach them either a principle or a subject. Teaching them to obey, observe, or hold fast to all things that I have commanded. We brush right over that scripture. We, we just go, that's the Great Commission. If we stop and slow down the train a little bit, he says, when you go... And make a disciple, you have to teach them some of the things that I've taught you. All things I've commanded. To observe all things that I have commanded. In the, in the New King James, I believe, or, believe it is, in the, in the regular King James, it says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever. Is that, who has that in their scriptures if you're still there? All things whatsoever. You know, they throw those extra, Why do they put those words in there? Because in the Greek, there's two words there. And they didn't really know how to translate them really well. Uh, the first one's easy. It's panta. What does pan mean? Pan means everything, right? If I'm a pantheist, I believe everything's God. Pan, the word pan, it is everything. So panta in Greek, Greek and Latin are similar in ways, means everything. Teaching them everything. And then they throw in another word there. And I, and, and I like when I read it in, in the Greek. Uh, it says, uh, Panta, everything. Hosa. Which when you looked at that, basically means everything again. <laughs> so they said, well, let's just everything whatsoever. And that, that's, that, you know, we don't use that very much unless you're... You know, unless you like to read and write you know, extensively, you're probably not going to say whatsoever. <laughs> so this is the way I translated it. Teaching them to observe everything. I mean everything. I've commanded you. Does that work? We're supposed to spend time with people teaching them to observe everything Jesus commanded. That might take some time. 
And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Take some time and make disciples. We need to preach the gospel. We need to baptize those who believe. Do you believe today? Are you a believer? Praise the Lord. I get convicted. If I get condemned, I have to pray against it because that's the enemy. Do you know, because there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. If you ever walk out of a service feeling condemned, you need to stop right in your tracks and say, that's not of God. I'm not condemned. But He might want you to feel convicted. Here's the difference, real quick. Conviction. I'll start with condemnation. Condemnation is the feeling that you did something wrong. Feeling bad about something and it drives you away from God. That's condemnation. Conviction is feeling bad about something you did. That you've done something wrong and it drives you to God. That's the difference. If you're feeling driven away from God, the enemy has gotten in there and planted a seed of condemnation. You need to get rid of that seed of condemnation and go back and say, you know, this thing I did was wrong, but I'm going to run into my loving Father's arms and be convicted. So we're believers. And to baptize, if we're, if we're believers, he said that we will be able to cast out demons, speak with new tongues, take up serpents, be spared from deadly drinks, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. A year and a half ago, when I, I asked Jonathan to come up and be uh, an intern at Oak Valley Church, Jonathan Tunnel, he was there, I think it was on his spy trip, coming up to see what it was like. Um, you know, you got to spy out the land. And um, one of the last nights he was there, we went to the, the, the church and there was a man there who, who it was, I was trying to minister to. He had been running sound. We are really just trying to help him serve Jesus. Uh, he was an alcoholic. His wife was, uh, loved Jesus on fire. They homeschooled their kids. But he just, he believed. But he was not there. And he manifested a demon possession that night. For the second time. I thought, man, this is a great training for Jonathan. <laughs> Jonathan, are you sure you want to come up? Because this is the things that we do. We got to cast out a demon. Today, that gentleman is alcohol-free, serving Jesus, loving his kids in a whole new way. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We're going to cast out demons. And we're going to help people recover. church, and I'm part of this, we need to press back into God. If we're supposed to be casting out demons and praying in tongues and laying hands on the sick, we're lacking something. And it's not God. God didn't change. Maybe we have. Maybe our faith has been, been hurt. Maybe we've backed away. You know, I, I, I know that for many, to, to get involved in any type of ministry or get involved with anything where the Spirit's moving like that's a little scary because things get weird. But, but if Jesus is in control, we can handle it. So believers, we need to baptize those who believe and the believers will do these things. And then he says to go and make disciples. We know that we can't make them, but we can help them to become a learner. Teaching them and teaching them to obey. So it's summed up. And these are four things. I've got about three or four messages this morning. So pick one that you like and go with it. 
Four, four things that God is calling us to do. First is to believe. We need to believe. We need to be baptized. We need to be discipled. We need to be discipled. See, if, if people are going into the world and making disciples, the first part is that we need to let them help us to become a learner. You might be in here, say, for 10, 15, or 20 years and still have never become a learner. We need to be discipled. And then we need to be a disciple. And that includes going and helping people to believe, helping the people to be baptized, helping people to be discipled so that they can start the process over again. In Jesus' time, Israel, Jerusalem, primarily Jewish, a lot of Roman soldiers, Rome was ruling, but it was, there were Jews, and Jesus was a Jew. Sometimes you have to say that because sometimes we forget that Jesus was really Jewish. He probably had a big nose. He probably did not have blonde hair and blue eyes. Let that sink in. Jesus wasn't an American. At, the, at Jesus' time, there were rabbis. There was a common thing. Uh, you, could, you would be a rabbi from lots of teaching. And Jesus himself was referred to as rabbi. That messes me up sometimes. That's too Jewish for me. Jew, Jesus was a rabbi in his own right. During that time, children would go and get placed into school about four to six years old. But it wasn't school like we know it. It was the synagogue school. And they would begin to learn. And this was most Jewish kids would go through this. I had a conversation with Matthew, and, and, and at the end I'll, I'll talk about that. You know, wow, Jesus went to this school undoubtedly. And the first school, the first class or series of classes was called Beit Sefer. B-E-I-T-S-E-F-E-R. Beat Sefer, and they would study and learn the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They didn't call them those things, but that's what they were. The first five books. They would study them for years. How long? I am really not sure. There's variations in how long back then. Um, in fact, if you go and type that word in, there's a, that name will come up all over the Internet because there's, most people name their schools that. Jewish schools today will be called Beit Sefers, and that's probably like a kindergarten, primary school. They would study and learn the Torah. The best students would not just study and learn about it, they would memorize it. They would memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They were the best. I'm already feeling bad. Those who studied well but didn't memorize would go home. Back to mom and dad. They would go home and learn the trade. Learn to do what the family, get the, involved in the family business. Those who were the best would go on to a second school and that was Beit Talmud. And they would stay in that school until they were about 14 or 15 years old. There... 
they would memorize, they would learn the Tanakh. And the Tanakh is simply the, the, the whole Old Testament, if you will. Okay? The Torah, the Ketuvim, and the, and the uh, Nevi'im. The whole writings, the prophets, and the teachings. And the best of the best of the best would memorize it. The best of the best would memorize it. Those who didn't would go home. The best of the best then would find a rabbi that they respected, that they wanted to become like, and they would go to that rabbi because each rabbi had their own teaching style. Each rabbi had their own view on the scriptures. Not massively different, but, but just a little bit different, just as we do in this valley within the churches, within a pastor. Things that don't change the common ground of the faith, but maybe a different skew on a passage. They would find the rabbi that they wanted to go with and they would say to that rabbi, can I... Will you be my rabbi? Can I be your disciple? And if they were the best of the best, they would ask them questions. They would quiz them to see if they knew. And if they, fa they found them, if the rabbi found them to be the best of the best, then they would simply say, Come, follow me. Come, follow me. If they weren't the best of the best, they would say something like, I think you should go learn the family business. And they would dismiss them. You're not up to par for my standards. You need to be the best of the best. That's what was happening in Jesus' time with rabbis. And there's a saying that we, that we find in the Mishnah. And the, the Mishnah comes out of the Talmud and it's, it's uh, teachings on the oral traditions and the oral teachings and the law, oral law uh, of, of um, Judaism. <coughs> And the Mishnah has a saying, and I want to get it right. It says, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. What does that mean? In other words, may you be walking so close to him that as he walks down the street and his feet stir up the dust, that the dust spatters and covers you because you're following so closely. And the rabbi wants you close to him. And he's teaching, may the dust... Uh, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Jesus is a rabbi. And he went and he found in Matthew 4.19, Simon and Andrew. Does anyone remember what Simon and Andrew were doing? They were fishing. And Jesus, the rabbi, went to them and said, what? Come follow me. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Why were they fishing? You know why? They weren't the best of the best. They were adults. Fishing. They had the family business. They weren't the best of the best. Matthew, Matthew 9.9. 9. Levi, Mark 2.14, Philip, John 1.43. Jesus went to all these disciples and He called them, Come, follow Me. And they weren't already following a rabbi because they were not the best of the best. They learned the family trade. 
Jesus called them because He saw value in them. He called them to show us for generations to come that it's not about how good we are. It's not about our giftings. It's not about our looks. It's not about our knowledge. It's not about our charisma. It's about Jesus inside of us. And He calls us all, come and follow me. See, other rabbis, you had to go to the rabbi. But Jesus says, no, no, you don't have to come and look for me. I'm looking for you already. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And He doesn't just leave it there of going, good, you're saved. I'm going to leave you alone now. You're into heaven. That's enough. If that was all the ministry there was is getting people saved, there would be two gifts of ministries in the church and only two. If it was just about getting saved and nothing more, the two gifts would be this. The first gift would be evangelist. And there would be evangelists all over getting people saved. The next gift would be the gift of assassin. And we'd just kill them. Just get them saved and kill them and send them to Jesus. If that's all that Jesus wanted, but that's not it. He's got a plan for us to do so much more than just be saved. He wants us to become a disciple. He wants the dust of Himself to be covering us because we're walking so closely with God. He wants us to be a learner. He wants us to know that it's not about our gifts. It's not about our charisma. That it's about the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. Because He calls us, we don't call Him. Ephesians 4. It's God's electric power company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians 4, 1. See, no matter how good you are, you know what, there are people who are more gifted in certain areas than other people. This is just true. There are people who are just better orators. They're better speakers. They speak well. They use a plethora of words and they speak verbosely. Right? And you don't understand them. But they do it so well. There are people who are great musicians. There are people that are great artists. There are people that that are great evangelists. There's people that have great leadership skills. These things exist, not just in the church, not just because of Jesus. In, In society, these things exist. But we need to know no matter what giftings we have, no matter what we're good at or not good at, God is calling us all to be His disciples. And He's saying, I will give you everything you need to be the best of the best. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. But God, they're just not very good at this. They're not getting it. Let's bear with them and help them. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, a Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to some of you, no, to each one of us, to each one of us, grace 
was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace. Where's charis? It's a gift. It's a supernatural gift from God. To each one of us, God gives us gifts and graces and He freely gives them to us because we were all called to one hope, one God, one Spirit. Jesus is calling all of us to be His disciples, to grow, to become a learner, to make disciples. First He calls us to follow Him, then He begins to teach us and tell us what He wants us to do and how He wants us to live. All through His strength, through His grace, through His Spirit. Now you can't miss this. Jesus spent three years preparing and teaching. He trained, He modeled, He forgave His disciples when they messed up and He challenged His disciples to do His will. After three years... After three years, right before the end of all things, He gives them the final commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize, make disciples. Oh yeah, like He forgot. Go wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high because you can't do any of it without the Holy Ghost. Every message you hear from here, whether we say it or not, I'm going to make a a declaration today and it needs to stand forever. Every message we preach from this pulpit, every message you hear in a cell group, there is something at the end. By the way, you can't accomplish what you were just told to do outside of the power of the Holy Ghost. Even if we don't say it, it's true. When we say we need to spend more time reading the Word of God and getting into the Word... By the way, you can't do that on your own. You need the Holy Ghost. I, just, I really want us to know that because I don't want you to go away thinking, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it because you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you're going to fail. But in you, Jesus, through you, He's going to help you to do it. He's going to help me to do it. So at the end of His three years, He says, you've got to wait. You're going to be endued with power from on high because you can't do it. You need the Holy Spirit. God is calling us to believe, to be baptized, to be discipled, and then to be a disciple. And we can't do any of it without the strength of the Holy Spirit. What do disciples do? They do a lot. I'm just going to pick a few. Maybe we brought enough to encompass many of them. By nature, a disciple is a learner. By nature, a true disciple is a learner. It's actually kind of sad because we've taken the word so far. We take the English word out of it and we say a disciple is disciplined. Well, we need to be disciplined. But we need to become learners. Learners, they study... People, they study the Word. They study Jesus. They study the moving of God. And they listen. They listen to the Word. They listen to the voice of God. They'll listen to pastors and preachers. And they'll rightly divide the Word of truth. The disciple will be like the Bereans who said that they searched the Scriptures to make sure what the teachers were saying, what Paul was saying was right and true. We need to do that. You need to make sure that what is 
preach to you over the radio, preach to you over the TV, preach to you from this pulpit, funny looking pulpit, is truth. Is truth. And it needs to line up with the Word of God. They study and they listen. A disciple mimics. A disciple mimics the Master. They want to become like them. They don't want to become greater than the Master. They want to become like them. They mimic them. We need to become those who would mimic God. Walk as Jesus would walk. I love to watch the little ones around here. I have some of them. You can walk into a room like this, and if you had never met any of the kids, but were familiar with the adults, could watch the kids for a few minutes and say, that's a Bailey. That's a Hastings. They mimic. Kids mimic their parents. It's fun to watch them. A disciple mimics the master. A disciple reproduces in others what was produced in themselves. That's what Jesus did. He disciple. He made disciples and then He told them, because they, they needed to be told, so do we, now that I've done this to you, go and do the same thing again. And then they will do the same thing again. A, a disciple reproduces in others what was produced in them. And a disciple serves the Master. God, what would you have me do? Rabbi, do you need anything? Do you want anything? What can I do for you, Rabbi? Master Jesus, how can I serve you? What can I do? We want to serve the Master. We want to serve the Rabbi. We want to be a, a good disciple. For the rest of our lives, if you're a believer and have been baptized and have been discipled, there's going to be two things that you will continue to do for the rest of your life. One is to continue to be discipled. We need to always be a disciple, always learning, always growing, always studying. It never ends. And then we also have the task, the job of making disciples in others. Helping others to become learners. It's going to happen in one-on-one -on -one relationships. I believe discipleship happens best in one-on-one -on -one or one-on -on just a few people can, can strengthen each other and become disciples. Jesus spent His vast majority of the time with twelve, but even He willed it down to three most of the time. Putting the most effort into the three, the twelve, then there was the seventy and the five hundred. He didn't limit Himself, but He said, I'm going to, I'm going to reproduce the best in a smaller group of people. One-on-one, -on -one, we need to disciple people. But we can also help other people to be discipled by serving. Right now, next door, there's 30-plus young people being discipled. As a disciple ourselves, we need to help to make sure that continues to happen. That's not child care. When it becomes child care, kick me so we can change it. I don't ever want that to become child care. We want to disciple young people. We just got a report this week 
from, from friends in, in Oak Valley Church where we left. And, and God used us there to really get, just help ministry get going and, and just be a, a breath and train people. And one of the couples that we, that we met with when, they, when they, they came to the church after we were there, she's now discipling the 5th through 8th grade graders to disciple and be the nursery workers. They're working with the toddlers, the 5th through 8th graders. I'm going, it's happening. This is what should be happening. She had a heart. She goes, her whole heart was, I want to disciple, I want to teach these young people to do the work. So now these 5th through 8th graders, boys and girls, are working every week in the toddler nursery. And just last week, the toddlers came up in front of the congregation and recited the scriptures that they had memorized at 3 years old. That's discipleship. We're starting CY again, and within a, a short time, it's going to have a new name. Um, we're, we're really excited because we believe in kids. We believe in youth. And we know that they need to be helped and discipled and encouraged. So we're going back to a weekly meeting. Ed and I, have been, we've been praying, and Una, and, and we've got a, a, a small group of people starting to, wanting to help. We're excited because we want to Win the lost and disciple them. Why are we doing the Tuesday night celebration for the youth? Because that's going to be a fun place for them to come. The music is going to be loud. It's We're going to have some lights. We should show them some lights. Um, <laughs> and um, you can if you want. There we go. We're going to have some fun, different light, color, color changing lights, things going on. This is going to become a fishing hole. Kids, we're, we want them to come so that they can, they'll feel comfortable to come. And once they're here, we're going to preach the gospel. And those that get saved, we're going to begin to pull immediately into cells. And those who want to get deeper, we're going to pull them into cells where they can get discipled. Because we're not going to stop at salvation. In your cells, in your lighthouse groups, there should be discipleship going on. If you're in a lighthouse and you're not discipling somebody or being discipled by somebody, you need to go up and kick your leader and say, hey, I need to be discipled. Who's going to disciple me? We have a lot of kicking going on. And then the leader's going to kick you back and say, good, I'll do that, but who are you going to disciple? Because we have two jobs. And it needs to begin to happen more and more and more. Because the end times, what does it say about the end times? People are going to lay up for themselves preachers and teachers who are going to teach and preach what they just want to hear. It, It says that... Even the elect could be led astray. We need to know the Word of God. We need to be solid in our walk with Jesus. We can't live just a comfortable Christianity saying, I got fire insurance, I'm ready to go. But we need to begin to press in and be discipled and make disciples. There's so many areas that that can happen. I'm I'm mentioning these things because we need to be praying, God, bless the ministry there. Bless the discipleship process. Help that to happen. Help the things that, that go on here. There's a lot of things that, that go on in the middle week. People come and clean the building. And there's ministry going on. Are you going to be a server? Or only a taker? Can you rise up and say, God, I want to help. I want to serve. See, one of the things that we want to help you do as a disciple is to find your gifts and your callings and help you and release you in those things. We want to help develop those things. That happens in discipleship. So I want to encourage you as you 
go on this process of becoming a disciple and discipling others, that you'd keep your eyes open and your ears open. God, in the process, how do you want me to serve? You know, the greatest lessons I've ever learned in ministry came from my serving. In this, in this church here, I've taught every age group. Every, I've done everything there is to do here. And now I'm, I'm going on to the last thing that I hadn't done, and that's to become the pastor. I've worked with the babies, with the toddlers. I worked in, in pioneer clubs. And I remember I was working with the fourth and fifth graders and had to sacrifice a lamb once. Boy, sometimes curriculum is bad. I've worked with all the age groups all the way, all the way through. Youth group. I got today, I got someone who was in our youth group in 1992 in the back. It was great to see him. Hard to miss him. He's kind of short. And I learned so much in my process of becoming a disciple by serving. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. We're not here to be, lear- We're not here to be listeners. We're here to be learners. We're here to be servers. Come and serve. Help these things happen so that we can continue to make disciples. Are you ready to go home and have lunch? Stand with me. I used to have a sticker, it was in my old Bible. I am a disciple of Christ. Anyone happen to have that on them? The die has been cast. The decision has been made. The choice has been made. I will never meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will never ponder at the table of passivity. And goes on to talk about that which we would do as a disciple of Jesus. That's what we want to want to close this service with. Are you, are you serious about following Jesus? Before we do that, if you've come this morning and you don't know Jesus, the first thing you need to, to do is to meet Him, to become a believer. And I want to give an opportunity right, right now, right now. Because we don't know what tomorrow brings. If you sat in here and said, well, yeah, I did in the past and I don't know where I'm at today or you've never made that decision, listen, I want to let you know that Jesus Christ truly did did walk. Thank you. I love it. Jesus walked 2,000 years ago. He made disciples. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. And then He died. We're going to celebrate the moment that He was resurrected in just two weeks from today. We're going to celebrate that moment. We're going to carry a cross through the valley on, the, on Good Friday before that, praying and commemorating that which He did, standing in for the youth. You can be involved in that. Speak to Lucy Torres or one of the leaders. They've got the information. Jesus did these things. He died for your sins. And it's as simple as believing. Receiving that sacrifice for your sins. There's no magic in a prayer, but simply telling Him something like, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done bad things. I've done things in my life that I'm ashamed of. I've done things in my life that you're not proud of. Forgive me for those sins. 
I receive the sacrifice that you made for me and for my sins. Today I commit my life afresh to you. I want to become a disciple. I want to follow you. I heard Pastor Rob say that I can't do any of it without the Holy Spirit. So God, in the process, give me the Holy Spirit. Strengthen me. Because I want to follow you and be a disciple. I want to live with you forever in heaven and serve you while I'm here on earth. Amen. For the rest of us, thank you, Victor. I knew somebody would have it. For the rest of us, I'm going to read this and let's make it our declaration today. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. I've stepped over the line. I won't look back, let up, slow down, or back away. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, with sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on His presence, walk with patience, live by prayer, and labor with power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions, they're few, but my guide is reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, spoken up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go till He comes, give till I drop, preach till all know. And work till He stops me. And when He comes for His own, He will have no problem recognizing me. My banner is clear. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. God, help those words to ring true. God, help us to step over the line and say, I'm done with it. I'm going to be your disciple. And I'm going to help others to become your disciples. We're going to make a difference in this world. God, burn in our hearts this truth today. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to make sure this gets put on to the internet so you can download it from, from the resources there. Go out in the power and the strength of Jesus. Looking around as you go, who can I disciple? And who can help me to become a disciple? Praise God. Next week's Palm Sunday. Bring your palms. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah.